Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz, and today I have Greg Lawrence with me today. Hi, Greg. How's it going? Hey, Liz. Thanks for having me. Great. All right. I'm going to go ahead and read your bio. Greg Lawrence is a psychedelic integration and transformational coach, energy worker, and active member of the Southern California psychedelic community. In addition to his private practice, he works as a psychedelic integration coach with the Transpersonal Counseling Center, a psychotherapy practice located in Los Angeles, psychedelic experience integration, that's integration work with clients one-on-one and also facilitates bi-weekly community integration circles and inner space integration, where he served as a member of their integration support network. In working with people, he draws upon his studies and knowledge of psychology, neuro-linguistic programming, integrative coaching, meditation, breath work, and energy body work, as well as his own deep experience using psychedelics for personal and spiritual growth. Certified transformational recovery and integration coach, master instructor in integrated energy therapy, and certified neurolinguistic programming practitioner. Awesome. And we're going to be talking about, I know. (laughs) A lot of (laughs) words. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really interested in this topic. Recent laws have been passed, the Right to Try Act, and the FDA granted psilocybin breakthrough therapy status research. And Oregon was the first state to legalize mushrooms and more states ease laws. So what was it that led you to do this psychedelic integration uh, coaching? Wow. Um, That would go back to my 20s when I was using psychedelics through my late teens, through my late 20s, and unfortunately using a lot of other substances as well. I got mixed up in hard drugs and my life pretty much spiraled out of control. Um, I had lost my job. I was living in a terrible place. The conditions were not good. And luckily I got some help. I got out of the place where I was. I managed to move away from the people and places that were triggering my use. Um, I quit substances cold turkey and I stopped using everything except for cannabis, which I abused for about 20 years after that. And about seven years ago, my life got kind of uh, turned upside down with a personal tragedy. And in the midst of that, I realized there was a lot of childhood trauma I had just never dealt with. You know, I had just put things away and I had a lot of things stirring under me, which is, of course, what what led me into addiction. I was living a uh, suburban life. I'd started a business, bought a home, looked out here in the Valley, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, and started trying to find out what to do. I started seeing a therapist, a coach, and somewhere in there, I think, uh, well, yeah, at the time, I was trying to quit smoking cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes at the time. So I tried psilocybin. Someone said, psilocybin helps for that. I read a study about it, one of these clinical studies you see. And I tried it and I realized, wow, I realized where some of this comes from and why I act this way. So now everything's going to be different. And in about two or three weeks, nothing was different. (laughs) This is what happens with the psychedelic experience sometimes. It can show you what needs to be worked on, but it's up to you to work on it afterwards. But, you know, it seems like in the aftermath, like I just feel so differently now, nothing could ever go back to being how it was. You slowly slide back for various reasons. 
So I started looking into this. I discovered the concept of integration. And I went to an integration circle. This is a safe space where people gather to talk about psychedelics and their experiences and ask questions and do research and support each other as a community space. And I was uh, fascinated by this concept. I started using the concept of integration myself in these journeys and making difficult changes afterwards based on what I had learned and experienced. I started, I was asked originally to lead some of these integration circles. And then after a while, um, you know, I was doing some coaching and energy work with people. And one of the integration coaches said, hey, can I refer people to you? This is something that you know. So I started seeing clients. Then I got certified as an integration coach. And a little over two years ago, I set my old business aside and I started doing this full time. To go back to your question, I got into this because it was necessary for me and it's an avocation for me. So I can see the healing power that psychedelics have. I don't go around encouraging people who wouldn't take them to do so, but there are people coming into this space all the time looking for healing from psychedelics. I'm here to try to give them what I got for myself, the growth that can come from the aftermath of a psychedelic experience. Oh, I see. That's fascinating. I also heard in there where you had your own trauma and had um, used psychedelics to work through that, but then it didn't last very long. So I do some work with negative belief systems, patterns, programmings from childhood. So how did you integrate the two together to be able to make it last? Well, as you know, there are two parts to this. There is what happened to me. Um, why did that happen? It's important to have those things. What did that cause me to do? So I'll give you an analogy. It's a story. This guy goes to Las Vegas and he and his wife go to see a professional hypnotist show. And the hypnotist at one point says, I need a volunteer from the audience. The guy's wife says, go up on stage. So he does it. He gets hypnotized and the guy tells him to cluck like a chicken or whatever they do. And then he says, I'm going to give you a post-hypnotic suggestion. Is that okay? I says, yes. He says, when you wake up, every time I touch my tie, you're going to have to take your coat off. When I take my finger off of my tie, you have to put your coat back on. Understood? Yes. Wakes the guy up. How was that? How do you feel? I'm fine. Nothing's different. I didn't even know I got hypnotized and touches his tie. Now the guy is going to have to take off his jacket based on an instruction he has in his head that says, when this happens, you do this. But your arms just can't move and take your jacket off because you're human. Then you think, what are my arms doing? What happens in this instance is your mind jumps in and gives you a reason for it. It says, hey, it's hot in here. It can even generate some chemicals because your mind your mind is in charge of all these neuro, all of these neurotransmitters and chemicals that make us feel different ways. It can make it a little hot to the guy. And he says, you know, it's kind of hot in here. Do you mind if I take off my jacket? The guy says, no, not at all. Takes off his jacket. And after a while, he takes his finger off of his tie. And the guy says, it's strange. It was so hot. Now I have a chill. I'm going to put my jacket back on. A little while later, the guy touches his tie. And he says, it's the weirdest thing. This jacket usually fits, but it feels kind of tight. I'm going to have to take it off for a while. This is what we do as humans. Something happens to us when we're young and our subconscious steps in and says, don't worry. From now on, I'm going to make sure that you do or don't do, say or don't say this, and you won't get hurt again. And our minds are brilliant at coming up with these coping mechanisms and these responses to triggers that keep us from getting into situations where we might get too close to somebody or we might be vulnerable or whatever the situation is. But it's kind of dumb when it comes to knowing that not only does this not help me, it is now actually kind of screwing up my life. <laughs> I need to stop. But they are disguised and they're hidden from us. So 
there is what happened to me, there is why I'm doing this, and then there is how does this manifest? What am I doing in my life? Am I keeping myself distant from my romantic partner? Am I reacting harshly to people because of what I think that they're saying to me? Do I have difficulty dealing with authority figures? Those things have to be changed. A lot of my work with myself and a lot of the work that I do with clients is helping to do something other than this response that you have to a trigger. That involves understanding where it came from, extracting a lesson from it, and then in some way changing your response to it. Because every time you respond to a trigger, this little voice in the back of your head says, it's a good thing you did that or you would have gotten hurt. And you reinforce it every time you react. So I reinforce these things constantly and I act in ways that I want to and I have habits that I think are unhealthy and I wish I could be differently and somehow I'm just not getting it. If you start, if you start the process of taking away these trigger responses, when you do that, you can see a little bit more of objective reality. Now I don't think that it's hot in the auditorium anymore and I don't have to take my jacket off. You know, I was blinded before. I thought it was hot. No one else in the room was hot. It was just me. Stop responding to triggers, you get a little bit more of objective reality. As you do that, you can see the triggers a little bit better. You work on them. This was my process, undoing the things that I was doing in response to the triggers that I had. We're all walking around in some way or another, performing a set of actions based on things that happened a long time ago. Yes, we It are. is as though we are hypnotized. Yeah, so why use psychedelics to... Um, unravel our subconscious and not um, traditionally these other practices or healing modalities? Well, one of the difficulties in working with people is that we all have defenses built up against words. Okay, so literally everyone on the planet can tell me that I'm deserving of love. And if I have some wound that tells me I'm not, I don't believe it. I might learn something in a seminar and say, wow, I really get that. I'm just not, you know, it just doesn't sink in. I get it, you know, uh, logically, but somehow I'm just not getting it. I'm not clicking with it. These are protections we have because based on this protection that your mind has put in place saying, do, don't do, say, or don't say this thing, for better or worse, your brain does not want you to change. So when someone presents you with an idea that threatens a change that might cause you to be unsafe because now I'm going to expose myself by opening myself up and my heart up to someone and I might get hurt in that process, which is a perfectly normal and natural thing. But my heightened uh, alert system tells me it's not. I be careful. Now, if I try to do something like that, my brain steps in and tells me it doesn't feel good. What psychedelics do is they don't necessarily step in and change those things, but they do get messages to us to show us how important Sometimes they will use metaphor or story. Sometimes they jog our emotions. Sometimes they let us see our lives from a detached perspective. Oftentimes what they do is process the pain that we have inside. So a couple of things they do is show me what is really on my mind because there's something right now that I am not acknowledging or doing that I've just kind of put away that's really bugging. Happens with everybody. Psychedelics will dump that on the table and they'll suddenly say, wow, I didn't know that this was so hurtful to me. I didn't realize that was so important. I didn't realize I thought that I needed to do this as much as I do. I didn't realize I needed to change that or shift this. You can see it. It's up to you to do it later. That's one thing they do. The other thing is exactly what therapy does. They bring the unconscious to the conscious in a very rapid fashion. And this is where you run into what sometimes people call a bad trip. Now, first, I want to say that there is a saying in the psychedelic community that says there's no such thing as a bad trip and something like only a difficult experience. I do not agree with saying there is such a thing as a bad trip. There are people who are on certain medications or have certain 
psychological diagnoses who should not use psychedelics. They're not going to end up having a good experience. But other people who don't know that unpleasant, suppressed memories and emotions that are stuck inside of you are going to come up rapidly and need to be felt and experienced in the process. When you don't know that's going to happen, suddenly it feels like something's wrong. Now I'm not having fun. I'm not one with the universe. I don't feel so good. I understand why this is scary, and I'm going to push against it. Worst thing you can do with anxiety, worry, guilt, regret, whatever it is, is push against it. Try not to feel it because it's going to come right back at you. It's going to push back at you. So people get caught, caught in kind of a loop. Oh, my God, this is scary. I'm pleasant. I don't want to deal with it. Get away from me. I don't want it. And it just keeps coming back with them. One thing that they tell people in all the clinical studies that are done is if you come against something that's very difficult for you emotionally, best thing you can do is to lean into it because it just wants to be seen, felt, heard, and completed. Great. So why do psychedelics do what they do? Um, you know, that is a mystery to me and many other people. Um, many people view these as sacraments. They view them as having a certain intelligence. They view them as tools. You know, to me, psychedelics plug into us and allow us to realize what's going on and sort of how things happen. Um, they're not so much an external thing. They're kind of a partner with us. They make things clear to us. So I'm not sure why they do what they do, but I think it's amazing that they do what they do. You know, people will say things in a psychedelic experience like, wow, I, sudden real I suddenly realized that there's not a problem. It's the way that I'm thinking about it. They just clarify things for a while. I see. What is it do you think helps with the longevity of the healing process or the undoing of those belief systems and triggers? Well, the undoing is what contributes to the longevity. In my opinion, if you work with a psychedelic, you know, I am not against recreational use of psychedelics. Some people use that as a pejorative. I don't. I think that if you want to enjoy some food or music or the outdoors or another person's body or museum or movie, whatever you want through the lens of a psychedelic, I think that's great. Go ahead and do that. But if you are using psychedelics for some kind of healing, if you expect the psychedelic to do the healing, you're probably going to be disappointed because every clinical study out there has a significant therapeutic component before and after the experience. The therapy you know, when you look at these studies, they're called psilocybin-assisted therapy, MDMA-assisted therapy. It's not therapy-assisted MDMA. The MDMA is a tool that lends to the therapy. So what, what uh, contributes to longevity, what allows you to take a piece of this with you is looking at what was important to me in that journey and what kind of change, shift, or adjustment can I make to make that thing a part of my daily life. Am I thinking that I need to be more responsible? Okay, is my garage unkempt? Maybe I need to clean my garage. There was a guy who came to me one time whose intention going into a journey was to heal his relationship with his father. That's what he wanted to do. And then while he was under the influence of, of mushrooms, he suddenly saw, wait a minute, what I really need to do is to get a better job so I don't have to ask my father for help so it doesn't create this dynamic between us that feels uneven. And he did that and he felt much better in his relationship with his father. So there was no problem with the relationship so much. It was the dynamic and the position he put himself into. The thing that we think we need to do is not always what we need to do. You might think, I need to work on this. And you work with a psychedelic and it's like, no, you need to fix this. And then go here and here and here. And then you'll get here. But you can't just go here. There are all these things that go with it. What 
contributes to the longevity of the healing is doing something with it afterwards. This is where integration comes in. That's why I'm passionate about it. Making some change, shift, or adjustment based on what you learned in the experience will help you take some of the experience with you. It's literally what it's trying to give you. Look, here's a thing that you want. See, here's a thing that you're feeling very strongly. You're just not acknowledging. Great. So walk us through a little bit of that before and after experience that you spoke about. All right. So in the before experience, we will talk about things like set and setting. Those are two rules about working with psychedelics. Your set is your mindset at the time. What's going on with me? Am I in a good place? Am I in a bad place? Are certain things bound to come up because I'm sort of anxious about them now? And then your physical setting. Where am I? What are things like? So you don't want to do things like generally be around people who you don't especially like or who are annoying or triggering in some way because that will be amplified. Your setting, you want to be aware that going into this, that if something's bothering you, that thing might come up or something related to it might. You want to be as good a setting as possible. You want to try to, you know, maybe do a media cleanse and not be too overstimulated. Just give yourself some space. Intention is a very important part of the experience. So I'm going to boil my desires down to one sentence or mantra. This is what I want from this. This is what I'm doing. doing this is why I'm doing this. This is what's motivating me to do this. That's my intention. And then we will talk about things like what might happen, how to stay grounded, how to navigate the best way to breathe, what to do and what not to do. What to do if you become frightened or things become unpleasant is a very important part of the process. So I just try to make sure people are prepared to get the most out of the experience based on what they've told me they're doing it for, what their intention is, the set and setting, all that. So I just try to prepare them to get the most out of the experience. Afterwards, We'll look at what happened because sometimes what happened is a bit confusing and people aren't sure what sort of message was being sent to them. Sometimes it might seem like there's some literal message, which should never take psychedelics literally. I mean, the messages, the visions, the things you get from psychedelic experience are just like thoughts. They should be treated as a little bit suspect until they're validated. But when you go through these things, when you know someone's background or you know what they experienced, you can usually get kind of what their lesson or theme was. Once you have that lesson or theme, then we talk about what's, how that's manifesting in your life. If something is a, is a wound from your past that you're wanting to change, what is that wound? What is that causing you to do? What's it doing in your life? Then we talk about ways that we can maybe stop that from happening or make some adjustment or work with it so that's not controlled. And that process will do for a few sessions afterwards. A lot of people stay with me and coach afterwards. I will work with people to help get over triggers and responses understand their past a little bit better. And in my sessions, I usually give them some kind of homework for the week. I want you to try this on. I want you to write this down. I want you to go through this exercise. I want you to have this response to this person what happens. And then we pick up last week and see what that is. We need to make adjustments. It's um, kind of therapeutic in nature, although I'm not a therapist, but usually some sort of discussion. And it has to do with the way things look versus how they are. You have to very slowly introduce how things actually are. I can't just come and tell you that you're not a terrible person. Everybody likes you. So, you know, you're not bothering people. That you're convinced of. You have to convince yourself slowly over time that these things are just distortions based on your past. I see. And then what is your guiding philosophy around this practice? Um, Milton Erickson is one of the people whose work neurolinguistic programming was based on. 
He was a brilliant therapist, an MD and a hypnotherapist, who was a genius at working with people. Milton Erickson said something that is my guiding principle in this work. He said, action will lead to insight far more often than insight will lead to action. That very perfectly describes what you should do with the psychedelic experience. You can think that showing me where my trauma comes from now fixes it and why I feel this way. But if I don't do something about it, I'm not going to change it. Insight doesn't necessarily change anything for me. Hmm. So how do you take the linguistic programming and unravel what you've received in the journey or in the experience? Well, neuro-linguistic programming is just one of the tools I use. And that's partly used in the way that I communicate people, uh, communicate with people. So there are certain things that people might say that you pick up on. There's certain ways you give things back to people. There are certain ways people characterize things that happened to them in the past. So neuro-linguistic program, programming for me is more a tool of uh, sort of figuring out what's going on someone. I would say that probably a number of personal and spiritual development disciplines, cognitive behavioral therapy, things like that are more tools that I'll use with people. Okay, I see. And then I've heard that um, microdosing and psychedelic therapy is really good for PTSD. So besides PTSD, what other types of things does it help with? Well, I should say that microdosing and psychedelic therapy are two vastly different Ah, so I'll just, I'll just quickly go over microdosing. So, you know, we'll, we'll go over psychedelic therapy. Psychedelic therapy, I take a very strong substance that takes me to a sort of another realm. I've been prepared before and I have therapy afterwards. It might be a very uh, sort of traumatizing or disturbing experience for me. A lot of things from my past might come up. It might be a very beautiful, mystical, spiritual experience. I might feel at one with the universe. I might suddenly have compassion or empathy for people who hurt me in the past, a lot of things can happen. But it's a very overt uh, experience and where I'm to a certain extent regressed and kind of going through my wounds and having things come up and trying to process them. Microdosing is taking subperceptual amounts, LSD or mushrooms usually. Those are the two primary substances people are talking about with microdose. Taking so much, just so little an amount that you don't feel any psychoactive effects. You might feel a little bit better. There are, there are smart drugs or nootropics on the market that are sort of similar. You take them, you just notice, hey, I'm a little more alert. I'm kind of, my cognitive abilities are sharpened. I feel a little bit more creative and motivated. It's kind of what happens with microdosing. You just feel good, better, maybe not as bad. You may forget that you microdose. That's happened to me. Microdose something a few hours later, you realize I'm just moving through my day really well. That's right, I microdosed. I forgot. So it's not the same experience at all. In fact, if you took those two things independently, no one would be able to tell they were the same substance. It's so vastly different. So microdosing is more of a behind the scenes gradually. So then I will start to maybe see the patterns that I'm engaging in in life. Maybe I see my emotions coming up a little bit. Might can make you a little bit more, put you a little bit more in touch with your emotions and allow them to come up because maybe you'll have a lot of suppressed emotions that are keeping them anxious or depressed. It may help me to see certain things in my life that I might want to change or shift somehow, but those may happen gradually over time. There is really no solid scientific evidence that says that microdosing is any more effective than placebo. But to me, with what I have seen anecdotally from people using microdosing to get over things like anxiety, depression, OCD, traumatic brain injury, ADHD, 
you know, some of these things it's even recommended that people with these conditions don't use psychedelics, but microdosing seems to help a lot of them. I've seen many, many people, I monitor online forums and Facebook groups dedicated to microdosing, and many, many people who have been on antidepressants for years and years are finding actual relief from microdosing. Wow. Some of them are using microdosing to help them wean off of antidepressants, which haven't worked for them. And I think antidepressants are great. They save some people's lives, but they're probably overprescribed and used for too long. And a lot of people do not have a pleasant experience with them, but it's how they survive. Interesting. So that's microdosing. Psychedelic therapy itself is used, and used uh, as you say, for treatment-resistant re PTSD in veterans and first responders. MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, is in phase three of their studies using MDMA for this purpose. And the, their success rate is phenomenal, something like double anything else. And if phase three goes well, then MDMA-assisted psychotherapy or psychedelic therapy will probably be a prescribable treatment at the end of this year or next year sometime. Now, it's not going to be available to everyone. It's going to be prescribable. It's going to be administered by a medical professional or psychiatrist. It's going to be very expensive, probably like ten dollars to $20,000 for one round of treatment. But it will be available to people. Psilocybin has been used in uh, NYU to help people with end-of-life anxiety. So people who are anxious because they have a terminal diagnosis. One woman in a documentary I saw said, I am ruining my, my life, my relationship with my family. I'm going to die probably in six months, and I'm so anxious about it that I'm ruining my relationship with my children and my husband. They showed her she was accepted into this study. They showed her laying down on a couch, putting on the eye shades and headphones. And the next scene was her son, who said from that day on, she loved every second of her life right up until the very last one. Wow. Um, they're helping people quit drinking, people quit smoking. They're doing studies on people with OCD whole manner of things that psychedelics are helping people heal. That's amazing. No, I have They're astounding substances. Impressive. Can you walk us through more benefits? I know we've already, you just went through a whole score of benefits, but what other benefits for like a person who's never, you know, even thought that this therapy was possible, you know, what, how could it benefit them? Well, you know, if something is bothering you in your life and you are not contraindicated from this treatment due to medication, psychological evaluation, uh, physical, uh, what have you, it's quite possible these substances would be helpful to you. I do say that even though I'm a psychedelic advocate, educator, and professional, psychedelics are not for everyone. But if someone is having difficulty dealing with something in their life and they think that there's nothing that can help them, this may be something that would help. They have to be able, they have to be willing to undergo something that people have called one of the most psychologically difficult experiences of my life, but one of the most rewarding. It can help with uh, trauma, certainly help with depression, anxiety. I'm not saying it's a cure for any of these things, but it certainly helps people with all these things, anxiety, ADHD, trauma, depression, OCD, people with end-of-life anxiety, people who are just getting to where they're starting to think more like I have much less time left than I have than I have behind me. And I'd like to have a little bit perspective, a little bit of perspective about what that means. Interesting. So how would you integrate something like that? 
you know, integrating that something like that is more of that's that is one of those times where the thing that you realize in the journey is probably going to stick with you and just be a part of you. You know, I can look and see when someone comes out and says, wow, I'm, I'm not afraid anymore. You know, sometimes people die in the psychedelic experience. Sometimes people will say, I died a thousand times in that experience. Some people will say, I just died again and again. And, again. and in that experience, they feel like, wow, I know what that's like. It's not the unknown to me anymore. And sometimes people can look back and just see, just kind of get a perspective shift and realize, wow, I have all of this time left. And I will say personally that I am someone, let's say I go on a week-long vacation. Well, by day five, I'm kind of ruined because it's almost over. You know, this, this attitude of, oh, no, now it's in the home stretch comes in. And I can waste the last two days of my vacation worrying that it's almost over instead of enjoying those days. Imagine if you get that realization and you're going to die. What am I going to do? I can worry until the time that I die because I'm going to die and it's going to happen. Or I can let go and I can enjoy the time that I have. There's nothing that I can do. It's like being upset that the sun comes up every day. You have to adjust somehow. It's not as though you can escape it. Escape it. It's not like I'm worried because I don't like the job I'm in and I can change it. If you're worried because you're going to die, then you are worrying for no reason. You are inflicting suffering upon yourself. Now, we're all humans. We are all going to worry to a certain extent. We're all going to have a fear of death to a certain extent, say most of us by far. The question is, how much for how long? How much am I going to be worried? How long? When do I start now? I'm 60. Do I start worrying now? I can live to be 98. Do I want to spend 38 years worrying? No, I don't. But as a human, I might do that. Sometimes our worries and our concerns are way out of proportion with what we are worried or concerned about. Mm -hmm. That's a realization that you might have under the influence of a psychedelic. Oh my God, I'm worrying about something that is naturally going to happen that happens to every one of us. So it's really taking people on that journey within and observing. Hey. Can, you can you talk about that a little bit? Well, it's hard to talk about because it's different for every person every time. But the experience of seeing things from your life, of seeing things from a different perspective, like I say, one of my favorite realizations are when people, is when people realize, oh, my God, there's not really a problem. I'm making it into a problem by the way I think about it. I mean, literally, there's nothing wrong. Ellen Watts has said, there is, you know, unless there is something in front of you that's an emergency, then fundamentally nothing is wrong. That, that's a huge thing to try to get. It's hard to get. And it's very difficult to hang on to the fact that right now, while I'm sitting here talking to you, nothing is wrong. I don't have to worry about anything. So um, grabbing a hold of that realization, seeing myself from a different perspective, I have seen myself from a much more empathetic perspective than I ever could before, just on my own. I remember seeing myself and thinking about the qualities that I have in myself, of the things that I have uh, put myself down for simply natural, of not understanding that when certain things happened to me, they caused other things to happen. Also not understanding that while I had no responsibility for this part of this, I do have responsibility for this part, and I accept that. Getting to accept the shadow part of myself, meaning all those thoughts and feelings that I don't like, that I try to avoid, I have to accept those. I can't keep them out. There's no such thing as a thought or a feeling that is wrong. 
You can act on those things in a way that's improper, but there can't be a thought or feeling in your head that's wrong. That was a very big one for me. So it's very much about seeing things that are difficult to see right now. It's about revealing things to you that are sort of a gift. It's about making it clear that some things are distortions. It's about showing you where you can have empathy and compassion. It's about showing you where you might have responsibility that you haven't taken before. It's about showing you a lot of times that you have a lot of guilt, guilt, grief, shame, and sorrow that are unnecessary. I see. So we can work on those things without psychedelics. So what is Absolutely. it about psychedelics that would, or what is it about our experience that would make us want to take it a step further? What are some circumstances that we would go, okay, this is what I'm going to do to take the next step? When you say the next step, what do you mean? Or incorporate. Okay. I'm going to incorporate this substance for my healing practice. What are some situations since we can work on these things without psychedelics? What are some situations where we would go, Hey, I'm going to pull in this and try this. What makes it make that next step? Well, you can work on those things, but one thing that you can't always do, you can do it. It takes a while. Let's say I'm going to therapy and maybe in three, four, five, six, eight months, I might have a day where all of a sudden all of this is coming to the surface. We've been working on it. Finally, I just break down and I'm sobbing and gagging and I've got you know, snot running down my face and I'm using up tissue like crazy. Psychedelics, that might happen in 30 minutes. Okay. It brings that stuff up. There are also times, like I explained about the guy with his father, there are times when I think that this is what's going on with me. Really, it's this. It's going to get over here, but it's this. But I had no clue that was the route it took. And sometimes what I think I need to work on is not the thing that's really bothering me. Psychedelics will show you sometimes, you know, and I tell people, don't go in expecting to work on this thing because you might be shown something. You know, we might think we need to water the tree and sometimes we need to cut off a branch. We're trying to do the same thing. We just don't know where to start and what to do. So sometimes psychedelics will actually show us what it is we need to work on, what it is that we think we need to work on, what our priority is, what's really bothering us, what's really important to us. Sometimes they help us process trauma, grief, guilt, shame. Sometimes they help us access suppressed or repressed memories and get them out. So they can be very therapeutic on their own. At the same time, maybe I'll have an entheogenic experience. Maybe I'll connect to something that's outside myself, that's bigger than me. Um, it might completely obliterate my ideas about religion or non-religion. Just give me a point of view about what things mean. I might get a perspective on life, my existence here and beyond that I've never had the chance to feel before. What is it about? So, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What is it about doing it recreationally and then doing it in this kind of environment where you're able to zero in? I mean, how are you able to manage mentally controlling the outcome with intention? So there's no way to control the outcome. Yeah. (laughs) I'll just say that flat out. If you try to, you're in big trouble. Intentions have a way of sort of guiding where you're going. And a lot of this has to do with you, but your intention might go right out the window once you start. A 
lot of people say, this is what I need to work on. This is what I concentrate on. And something comes completely out of left field um, and just shows you that's not what you need to work on right now. The difference between doing it recreationally and in a sort of a, sort of a therapeutic sense is, um, you know, if I am with people, for instance, there are all kinds of rules. When I'm talking to Liz, so now I am with Liz and I'm on camera and she's looking at me and maybe I shouldn't touch certain parts of my body and I have to smile and sit this way. There are a million rules that I'm aware of right now, subconsciously, all these processes going on. There are like eight different processes that go into me hearing and processing the words that you say to me. So there's a lot of action going on and that takes energy. And I'm also at the same time struggling if I'm on a psychedelic trying to remember, I forgot how this goes. Do I do my hand up and down when they put their hand out? Am I smiling? Does this look weird? Are my eyes okay? You know, you're trying to remember what all these rules are that your subconscious helps you with that sort of go away when you're in a psychedelic experience sometimes. And you're very aware of your environment. Sometimes being around other people doesn't really feel safe because I'm not normal right now. So if I get into a place where people aren't supposed to know that I'm altered, then maybe I'm not having a good experience. I'm getting really anxious. But always, always, always you're projecting out. I'm thinking outwards. Look at that thing. Look at the colors in it. Oh, yeah, that's a wall. Oh, that's the floor. I stand on the floor. If I put on eye shades and headphones, for instance, all of that's gone. Now I am having an internal experience. What's going on in my head? I've got nothing outwards to project on. I've got no subconscious processes about thinking and feeling and hearing. Even if I'm sitting in here alone and you weren't on this, I think that's a wall and this is a floor. This is how a human sits, you know, I'm not doing this. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do every day. There are a lot of rules and a lot of processes going on. This just existing every day. Take those things away and lay down. You have an experience of what's happening inside here. So taking away the outside stimuli, allowing you to just sort of let go into yourself, that's what creates many times a therapeutic experience. Now, you can have a lot of realizations while you're interacting with people at a concert, sitting in a room in many different settings, but it is a different experience. People sometimes ask me, what's the best way to do psychedelics? Okay, there's no such thing as the best way. Well, should I do it in nature or with eye shades or at a concert? All of the above. Where do you want to do it? What kind of outcome do you want? Some people have profound experiences sitting against a tree in the forest. That's just a different experience than it would be in my room if I had eye shades on. All right. Um, gosh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question. Is there anything about the process that you would like to share with us while I'm sort of gathering my thoughts about this? Um, I'll tell you an interesting story that shows that demonstrates what we do as humans. Please. So there was a young man who came to me about uh, 25 years old. So I had a really bad experience with mushrooms. You know, can I get a session? So I book a session with him. I talk to him. And, uh, I'll, I'll change some details so it's not clear. He told me I could use this anonymously. He grew up in a small town in the Midwest. Lived there all of his life. Had the same friends all of his life. He was one of the popular guys. Handsome, very athletic, good student. Always had girlfriends, whole castle of friends. He was the guy like if you moved to town, you had to get to know him. Like be accepted into his circle. Now, he graduates high school. And most of his friends don't go to college. And of the, of the few who do, they're taking some other, something other than what he's doing. He needs to go to an out-of-state school for the major that he wants. So he does that and lands in college and soon realizes, I don't know how to make friends. 
I don't know how to how to be someone who's just lost in this. He's a small fish in a big ocean all of a sudden, and he's kind of lost. I don't know how to make girls. I don't know how to make friends. It's always come very easily. He starts feeling a little uneasy about this. Wow, I'm kind of missing home. And in about a week and a half, he meets a guy that he kind of clicks with. And he says, hey, let me just introduce you to my friends. Introduces him to his two friends. And he starts hanging out with these three guys. He says, they're great. They know a lot of people. They like to joke around with me. They're always having fun. And after a few days, they say, hey, this weekend, we're going to go to the forest and take mushrooms. You want to go? He says, yeah. He's taken mushrooms a few times before at parties. So they go to the forest. They take the mushrooms. About 30 minutes in, he starts feeling it. And then he feels really uneasy, like I am not comfortable here. And it takes him a little while to settle down and get a hold of himself. And when he does, he realizes these are terrible people. These guys are sexist. They're borderline racist and misogynist. And they're not joking around with me. They're making fun of me. You know, they're acting like I'm some kind of hayseed who they're taking along on this ride with them. And I don't know how it is that I got convinced that they're good people. But I don't want anything to do with them. Now, this guy had obviously been thinking this for like 10 to 12 days before he took the mushrooms and completely obscuring these facts of himself. And that anxiety he felt during that journey was actually what he was feeling under the surface whenever he was around these guys. But this is just one of the things that we do in everyday life. There are certain things that don't fit in with the narrative with what we need at the moment. So we just obscure certain things and we don't see things that the way that we are. I think we do. But really, a lot of times we're having a bad time underneath and we're not seeing and that, that goes for us, too. We, not, we might not be seeing ourselves the way. Wow, that's amazing. Because I know personally, you know, myself and in my practice, we tend to, you know, set all of those feelings on the shelf to keep the status quo, the job, the difficulty in our families and everything else and sort of skin over it and make ourselves okay with it. Mm-hmm you know, and going along with people pleasing and all of that. So that's really interesting. Yeah, at least we think we do. We think we're okay with it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's what I mean. We think we're okay with these, but we're really yeah. not. And we're just sitting them on the shelf and like going through life, experiencing these things and shoving our feelings down. So then how do we take the action? So there's really action after that. Okay. So how we realize these things. And then there's the action steps afterwards. Yeah, it depends on your situation. So for that guy, you have to realize that you have to be true to yourself, be a little bit kind to yourself, and that it's worth the time to take and kind of sit back and be with myself and be in a place that's not very pleasant or I'm uncomfortable that I'm not used to and see what that's bringing up. Because it's not like you're desperate to have people around you. So this is bringing up things I've never had to deal with before. What are those things? Let's explore them. Let's talk about them. You know, when someone says something like, I can't do this because I'm bored. Okay, well, what does that mean? What's it like to be bored? What does that feel like in your body? What's it like to have your mind tell you you need to be doing something else? Isn't that interesting? You know, why do you have to get out of that? It's weird that we have this thing that we consider to be valid called boredom. Like I have to stop doing this because I'm bored. So to me, there's something to be explored in there. Anytime you hit discomfort, there's something to be explored. There's something going on that we're not aware of. So sometimes you look for what is that thing? What is it that's bothering me? Why am I jumping at this thing and wanting to get it? And there's that it's okay to be true to yourself. You can, st- you can stand back and you can be someone who's out of this crowd for a while and wait until you find some good friends. <laughs> doesn't mean anything about, about you that there's no one around you right now. 
Um, and then you need to take action steps. So for instance, with this guy, had I been there when he was going through this, I would have coached him on how to make friends. This is what you do as a person who's used to having people approach you. You have to approach that person. What would you want? What could they say to you? What interests you? How do you talk to people? What does it make you feel like? What does an interaction feel like when you walk up to someone cold and start talking? What do you feel when that happens? Let's talk about that. What can we do about that? The action depends on what it is that you're working on. For everyone, it's different because we all have different comfort levels. Like I have some clients who are therapists. I love that because when you say, hey, this is going to be hard, they're, they're like, oh, I can feel the resistance. This is good. Most people say, I don't want to do this. I'm feeling a lot of resistance to this. <laughs> when you hit against something where there might be some healing, when you hit against an area where your brain's going to say, don't do that, that that's what that resistance offers. So a lot of times what psychedelics also do in the aftermath, after an experience, there are a couple of things that happen. I often get calls from people who say, I really don't know what's happening. I had this great experience with LSD, and but for the past two days, I've been an emotional wreck. I say, good. Hang out there for a while. They give you a release valve that allows you to let go of pent-up emotions, memories, uh, feelings that you've been hanging on to. They just let them out. So don't try to feel better. Just let them go. The other thing is they will start um, giving a little resistance to things where you're having, it's like, hey, really uncomfortable about my job. So now we need to explore that. Okay, is it because of the job? It's the wrong job. Or is it because you're having trouble relating to people at that job? Are you being triggered by your boss? Do you not like the position you're in? There's some of your coworkers, but there's something going on there. It'll show you like I'm a little uneasy with this. This can go to extremes at times. Like people will say like, uh, I never want to talk to anybody who hasn't taken psychedelics because that was so important to me and that they just don't understand. That person is having trouble relating to people. They're con convinced it's for a reason. There's always a good reason, but people will come up with these extremes. Like I've had it with that thing that doesn't make any sense or I don't like that at all. Well, let's look at why you're reacting so strongly to that. Is that a true feeling or is this just something coming up for you, showing you where you need to do work? Sometimes the lesson in a psychedelic experience is discovered after the experience. Yeah, it really sounds like a journey of self-discovery. Yeah, it absolutely is, yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, it is hard sometimes to know yourself when you're hypnotized. So I am convinced that things are a certain way. Then I start discovering um, that I'm doing certain things that I don't want to do, not because of outside influences, not because the world is making problems for me, um, but because certain things are happening. So I started off with the view that all these things are happening to me and they're making problems. Well, when I started off, you know, I might have had 92 problems. And as you start working on yourself, the number of problems decreases. And pretty soon you have 77 problems and nothing outside of you has changed. So there are a lot of things that I am contributing to that I have responsibility for that I have a part in. My part might be my emotional investment in that. Like I feel this way when that happens, when I don't need to, when I can't change it. The sun's coming up and I'm pissed off about it every morning. I need to do something about it. The sun's coming up and, you know, it blasts my windows. I need to put shades up there. I need to move the other side of the house. There are different things to do. But I need to realize that I have a part in things. I need to realize that certain things I didn't have a part in, however, they left an imprint on me. And I need to examine that and see why I think that things are this way. There are actions I'm taking and not taking that are good or not good for me. Maybe I need to start stepping into those and doing those things. 
I feel separated from the person I'm close to. Maybe I need to go up and ask for a hug once in a while. This is something I often deal with with people who have partners. You have a psychedelic experience and you say, wow, I feel like the most loving person in the world. I can't believe this is so great. I'm going to tell my wife every day how much she means to me. That's what I've gotten from this. And five days later, they look and say, yeah, she's busy. I'll tell her tomorrow. Because that protection starts coming back. I tell them, no, in that moment, you need to go over and say, hey, I love you. Get a hug. Look in the eyes. And feel how that protection was not real. It has nothing to do with you not having time to tell you why that you love her. Protection is creeping back and saying, don't get too close to the effort. It's insidious. So it's a journey of finding out that I'm doing many things to be kind to myself and protect myself, but they're not helping. That's very much about finding out that I don't have to beat myself up and that I can be okay with whatever is right now. And that if I'm not okay with it, I can be okay. Right. Wow. I like that personal evolution piece. And, and I like how it sounds that, you know, instead of spending years in therapy, you can get there rather quickly this way. You know, funny thing also is that that is true. I usually like it when people are in therapy as well. That was very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I hear people say like, I was in therapy for five years and nothing happened. And I did mushrooms and it was like 10 years of therapy people miss the fact that they probably have a lot of tools from the therapy they were in before. When someone's gone through a lot of therapy before an experience, I usually tell them that's going to serve you very well. Right. Because sometimes we're resisting those things and not listening to them. And then in the experience, all of that stuff falls into place. You see it. Right. And how does it... yeah, psychedelics are going to change the way that healthcare operates in the future? Yeah, I'm thinking that too. The more that I read and, you know, your talks and other people's talks it, and um, some literature out there, it really seems like this is, you know, the direction to be able to open up the subconscious mind to be able to pinpoint things a little bit quicker. Yeah, absolutely. And it's to, to allow you to get to a place where those things can come up for you too. Yeah. How about, have you done any work with um, severe trauma and how has that helped using this? Um, severe trauma, you know, PTSD, for instance, is something that's dealt with by MAPS with MDMA, but, you know, therapy around trauma is very um, complex. So if some, someone comes to me, I don't practice outside the, outside my scope. So if someone with severe trauma came to me, I'd probably tell them you should be talking with the therapist. I have no problem working with them in tandem. Right. And how- obviously people with very severe trauma are going through treatments in the MDMA and psilocybin. Right. I see. And what is it that you offer clients specifically and how can they work with you? Um, I offer both preparation and integration coaching around psychedelics. I also do what I call transformational coaching. So about half of my business is people who aren't necessarily working with psychedelics. They might be people. I have a lot of people who have attended seminars, talks, and uh, taken classes and read books. And somehow it doesn't make sense. It's not gelling. Like I'm not getting it. I haven't put this into practice. I love working with those clients because we learn what you need to do. I work with people who have generalized or social anxiety, who may be depressed, people who deal with procrastination, people who just kind of stuck on their personal or spiritual development paths. Like what's my next step? I don't know what to go, where to do, what to do, where to go. And a lot of times it's people who just get the feeling if I 
And people can find me at psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. I'm Psychedelic Integration Specialist on Facebook. Um, and you can reach me at Greg at psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. Nice. And what is it about your work that you would like people to know the most? My work is, um, it's, it's talking mostly. My work is very much about finding out what's happening in your life and what sort of shifts or changes we can make that you are comfortable with. I work very individually with people. I don't have set programs here, like 30 days to self-confidence or something. I work with what a person's dealing with from their past, what they're doing now, what they can handle. So it's very personalized. I give people homework, so they have things to do in between sessions. I try to make sure that in every session, someone's getting something. From it. I do a lot of psychoeducation. This is happening because of this. If you don't have this when you're a baby or a child, sometimes you do this. Just so people understand that it's not their fault. It's very much about helping people to stop responding to their environments in the way they have done. And in that way, see a little bit more of reality, get a little bit more of what people are give, getting, giving them, and give a little bit more of themselves. Nice. Is there anything about psychedelics we haven't talked about that you would like people to know? Um, psychedelics are not for everyone. Some psychedelics are highly dangerous. Psychedelics like, you know, Ibogaine, which can cause deaths in people with certain heart conditions or taking certain medication. Um, people should do extensive research. No one who is, has a history or family history of schizophrenia or is taking mood stabilizers should be working with psychedelics. If taking any medication, please be careful. Do a lot of research before you, before you decide to uh, engage with these substances. Nice. And is there anything that you would like to leave in final comments to our listeners today? Yeah, try to be okay with what's going on. And if you can't see if you can be okay with that. And when I say that, I don't mean try to be okay with what's going on. Like, I don't feel good right now. I'll be okay with it. Oh, now I'm happy. I mean, can I be okay with being unhappy right now and not make a problem out of that? Right. And do you have any events coming up? Um, March 25th, I'm doing a talk on the guided psychedelic experience. That's an online talk via Zoom. You can find that on my website or on my Facebook page. And uh, I think that every other month this year, uh, my wife and I do some Tantra-informed relationship classes. And I think every three months, I'm going to be doing that, that talk and another one on microdosing that I do throughout the year. Awesome, Greg. Well, thank you. This has been really informative. I've learned a lot and I hope our listeners have too. Well, great. It's been a pleasure being here, Liz. Thanks. And everybody reach Greg. And Greg, why don't you give your um, website one more time and contact information? That is psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. On Facebook, I'm Psychedelic Integration Specialist. And you can always reach me at Greg at psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. This has been Thank a really you. interesting conversation. I appreciate your time. Yep. And find me at Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Raise the Vibe with Liz. And my website is lizeshealingtouch.com. And thank you everyone for joining me today. This is Raise the Vibe with Liz and I'm your host, Liz. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. 
And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.